0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series, and now here is Pastor Larry Davis. Morning, Northgate. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> hey, we're in our second week. We are finishing up this conversation that we started last week about uh, the power of influence or being a person of influence, and. I know that inside of each and every one of us, including myself, would love the opportunity to really have influence over someone for good, and so uh, in that conversation, we talked about what does love require of me or us in all situations? What does that look like? Because this really cool guy named Jesus, he came and he was God on earth, and uh, he said, I got this for you, I'm going to make it so simple, it's extremely difficult, and that is... All you got to do is love God and love people. And so we talked through what that looks like and how that actually does influence people. And there's a guy named John um, that was there. And he heard this and learned how they're supposed to behave. And so he wrote a book uh, called John. (laughs) And uh, in John, he says, the word became flesh, which is God had a bod. Like, so he went from this to on earth here. He was here. He was dwelling among us. He was hanging out. Uh, He was sad. He was happy. The weather was rainy. The weather was nice. He did it all. He hung out. He experienced it all. And uh, we, not we as in you, we, they, we, uh, John and those people, they, because they saw it, have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And I feel like he paused here from this moment. How do I, like, how do I explain him? How can I just, how can I wrap this up? Who Jesus is? And he, He came up with these words, full of, I was reading that, (laughs) full of grace and truth. Jesus, who came and he hung out with us, and we saw him and all of his glories, he was full of these two things, full of grace and full of truth. We all both understand those things. And I think that this is an extremely important part of being a person of influence, because grace will mess your influence up, and truth will mess your influence up. Truth has messed you up, too, I know it, and grace has messed you up in a place as well. We know what these are, and so what we're going to talk about today is that we have to live in this really uncomfortable place, and that is in the tension between grace and truth. We love to be black and white that's why this is so uncomfortable, because we understand grace. Grace says, we're all going to be okay. Truth says, I don't know if you're going to be okay. Grace says, you're forgiven. Truth says, yeah, but you're accountable. Grace says, you'll get it right next time. And truth says, yeah, but you screwed up last time. You grew up in these kinds of homes. Grace says, hey, I'm mom. Truth says, Hi, I'm Dad. When grace doesn't work, when grace wasn't sufficient enough, Mom tells you that truth is coming home. (laughs) We're going to have a conversation. Maybe next time my grace will be sufficient. (laughs) Some of you grew up in a single-parent home, and you lived in a grace home. That's why your clothes never match. Um, Yeah, I got one. (laughs) Some of you are in the truth and you're OCD and that's all messed up too. It's awesome. John was saying, hey, it's, it's not grace or truth. It's the embodiment. It's the two and one. Not the balance of, but the embodiment together. Truth and grace. And truth and grace as one. He, he said, for I... Uh, uh, for Moses gave the law, but Jesus became and through Jesus, it's in John one seventeen. i I'm going to read it, through Jesus came grace and truth. That's who he was. And uh, for us to be a person of influence at its deepest place, we have to understand not just the balance and the tension between, but how to truly become the embodiment of these true. Uh, if you have just one, you're missing something. Many of you experience it. You've gone to a church maybe or been around a person and they have too much grace. You're like, ah, there's something's missing. Too much truth, ah, just something's missing. And so John's saying like, hey, here's the deal. If we want to understand, if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be like him, if we want to be a person of influence, if we want to ask ourselves what love requires of us, it is to embody this grace and truth. And we understand that as his body, we should embody grace and in truth. Everybody. I just had to say that because I said too many bodies there. <laughs> As his body, we should embody, in body, not be in balance of, grace and truth. And uh, so Jesus, he decides to teach on this. We see him um, show this a lot through uh, the life of his, uh, in his journey, his life. Um, but he teaches on this specifically one time. And what makes his story so unique is his audience. There was this audience when he was getting ready to talk about grace and truth that one part of his audience is going to feel alienated because they're not good enough. They need a lot of this. One uh, part of his audience is full of truth and it's, I've earned everything I've gotten and I am good enough. And he had to explain this, ah, it's not one or the other, it's both and in embodiment of the two of them. And so he's this master teacher. He does everything that a good parent knows how to do. He uses uh, an analogy specifically um, to explain the situation. And how he does it is really beautiful because he just leaves everyone in awe. And he starts this conversation out in Luke 15. We're going to scream through 30 verses today. He said, now, this is, this is so cool. Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. This is such a big deal. Like, if we just pause right there and we go, wait, somehow, for real quick, just a minute. Like, just church people are supposed to be hanging out with Jesus. Because he's like a church dude. Tax collectors and sinners were the ones who were gathering around. Like somehow he like attracted them like a like a light attracts bugs. Like they hung out with him. And you have these two groups, so bad or whatever you want to call it, that they had their own brackets. Tax collectors were like tax farmers. They were the ones who were like scooping it all up. Um, they took more than they needed. as like one of those farm systems where you're like in this pyramid scheme. You're like, wait, I thought I was supposed to make money. But you realize everybody else is making all the money. And so all those guys would roll up in their escalades. They'd open up the door and they'd come take what they needed to, give a little bit to Rome. And so people did not like those guys, tax collectors. Then you have the other category, which I'll say is us, the sinners. This was like the moral things, the ethical things, just the day-to-day stuff, just people who just were kind of on their own journey. And they were looked at as this... Specific group. And the crazy part is if we could just marinate, if we could just sit in that moment and think about what this looked like, that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, that would be a game changer. Like the, this whole first area in these first rows would be full of people uh, because they'd be gathered around because they wanted to hear what he had to say. So there's something extremely attractive about this. And then you have this other group in here. This is this other group that creates this special dynamic. And then the Pharisees, they were like the religious people, like they believed a lot of the same things Jesus believed. They were very alike, and the teachers of the law. And they muttered, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you have these two groups in here. You have the one group saying, we're not really worthy to be here and nobody likes us. You have this other group saying, hey, we're allowed to be here and why are they here Not only are you welcoming them, they're like inviting them into your home. You're hanging out with them. You're eating with them. Very much like today, you would go over to someone's house in a very intimate experience and go in their home and eat with them and spend time with them. So what's the deal? Jesus, what's up with this? We're going to mutter about this situation and what you're about. And really what they're trying to figure out is, why is it that the people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus... And who, why is it that the people who are like and unlike him, they like him and he likes them? And really what they were asking was, doesn't he condone their behavior? That's what truth would say. Wait a minute. They're like, why are they even allowed to hang out with us? Because they're sinners and they're tax collectors. And so Jesus decides to talk about this thing, something that they would all agree about because he's a master communicator. And he uses um, the subject, um, you know, it's a really awesome one. We all love this. He decides to talk about sheep. (laughs) Oh, excellent. And he uses something called a parable. For those of you who are new to church or haven't been to church before or new to the Bible, a parable is something untrue used to illustrate something that is true. Uh, This is a made-up story that's used to illustrate... Uh, a true event or something that is true about you, oftentimes something that's really emotional uh, for someone, um, and to grab this very emotional topic, or a subject that's difficult to understand. So instead of addressing this situation in this moment of grace, or is it truth, or is it grace, who's allowed at this table, who's welcome here, he doesn't go right into the point because he knows he'll lose half of his audience. And so he asks him a question that he thinks that everyone will have the same answer to. And he starts with this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And right away, everyone in the room is on the same page because all of us have lost something, haven't we? All of us has lost something of value. And so they're sitting there going, okay, we've all lost something. So suppose one of you has you a has hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 to the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And for the first time probably ever, you have these two groups, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the sinners, and the tax collectors, for the first time, all finding themselves nodding their head in the same direction. Why are we all doing this? Yes, we've lost something that's value to us, and yes, we would go find it. And he continues. And then when you go and you find it, wouldn't you get that sheep and you'd put it over your shoulder and you come back and you tell your friends and your family, that you found that sheep that you had lost? Yeah, we would tell somebody. I've all seen you do it. You found your keys and you do the fist bump. And wouldn't you sin celebrate and throw a party and say, hey, I found that thing that I had lost. And still they're finding themselves nodding their head in the same direction. Why are we all in agreement right now? And so he continues before they catch on to this. And he sees some ladies in the room. Suppose, ladies, if you had a precious coin, if you had the most precious coin, it was very valuable to you and precious, and you lost that coin, wouldn't you do everything else you could do to find it? Wouldn't you sweep over your floor? Wouldn't you move the furniture to find that coin? And they're all shaking their head yes, and the guys are going, yeah, that's what she'd do. I'd come home, and I'd have to move the furniture for them until she finds that coin. We're not stopping. And wouldn't you, when you found that coin, wouldn't you celebrate, say, look it, I found that thing that was lost? that I couldn't find before, when you lose something that's precious to you? And the thing is, is that when you lose something, it has your undivided attention. Two days ago, I could not find the plug to the air mattress. It had my undivided attention for like an hour. That was the most precious thing to me. But when it wasn't lost... I didn't, I didn't give a hoot about where it was or what it was doing or what it thought about anything. You are most passionate about the things that you've lost than the things that you've ever even misplaced to begin with. And so they all agree because everyone's lost something. And he says, did you know that God is more excited about a person, a sinner, a lost person who's come back to him than the people and the sheep that have been there the entire time? Before they can put this all together, he dives into this really familiar story, and a lot of you have heard this maybe uh, in church, or you've heard it in life, uh, and you've only heard like a part of it, most of us. And so he understands the hierarchy of families, and so he starts out, and he says, there's a man, and he had two sons, a younger son and an older son. And the older son was the behavior. The younger son was the misbehavior. How many behaviors do I have in here? How many older sons? Come on, you've got to help me with the story right here. Yeah, I'm an older one, right? Your your brother's probably not even at church today. Is there the misbehavior? So he says, you have these two groups. You have this behavior and misbehavior. And what happens is the younger son, he goes to the father and he asks him a really intense question. And I'm I'm going to tell the story a little bit just to draw some of the same emotions I believe that Jesus was trying to draw in that room at that time. That younger son comes to his father and he says, you know, I just wish you'd die. Uh, but you're not going to die right now. So can you just act like, can we play like you're dead? And you can give me all of my inheritance now because I'm younger and I really want to be able to use it. I don't want to wait till I'm older and I'm just waiting for you to die. And That's weird. Uh, but I would really just love everything right now. Is that okay? And this audience who's been in agreement with Jesus, the whole time about losing something and finding it, now are getting angry. Wait, what? Why would that son go to that father and say that to him? You don't do that. And Jesus continues the story and then tells him about how then the father goes and he sells everything. So the father goes and he, starts, he agrees to give his money to his son. He starts to liquidate his items, all the things that he's worked hard for, and gather up all this money, and then he gives him 50%, his inheritance of this. And this room, again, silence. Are you kidding me? Did he really just do that? This younger son then takes all the money, gathers his things, goes off into a far-off country where he can start over and live wildly, it says. Party hard until he runs out of money. And then he says, did you know then at that time it gets better? A famine hit, and this son now needed to get a job. And the only job that he could find was working as a pig handler. And now the whole audience is going, this story just got good. He's getting what he deserves. You reap what you sow. He shouldn't have given the money. He took it. He ran it off. And now he's stuck and he's feeding pigs. And he continues and he says, this son became so hungry that he began to desire what the pigs were eating. Like, oh my gosh, this is atrocious. This story is great. We can end this story right now tonight in this Jewish culture. I can go home tonight and say, kids, let me tell you a story. If you don't treat your father right, this is what's going to happen to you. You reap what you sow, you get what you deserve, you're going to be eating pig food. I'm going to scare him straight. And, but he continues. He continues with this story. And uh, the, the the son, the young son, finds himself wanting the kid's food, and he sits there and finally has an epiphany. He comes to, it says, his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? I'm here starving to death, eating the food of pigs. And so he thinks through this and begins to work on this speech because he wants to go and says, if I could just, I don't need to be his son again. I don't need anything. I just, I just need some food. I need to be treated better, and my father treats him better. So he works on this speech. You can go to the next one for me. I will set out, this is what he thinks, and go back to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned against heaven, God. And I've sinned against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me just, if I could just be one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And everyone in the room said, oh, this is going to be good. He's going to give it to him. Like he's bringing down the house on him. He's going to get everything that is coming to him. So it says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him (laughs) and was filled with what? Anger. Right. Rage. Right? That's what they're all sitting there and they're all like finishing the story. He probably did that. He was filled with and they're like, he's going to kill him. like. (laughs) <laughs> he deserves everything. I'm going to let him have it, right? This is what they're all in there, like righteous anger, and frustration, how you've like, you just torn the family up. You've left this wake behind you, and now dad's going to let him have it. And he was filled with compassion. You can hear a pin for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And they all have their mouth open because they're all in agreement still. Wait. Anger, not compassion. And so the son had this rehearsed speech. So he said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against God in heaven and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. And his father said, stop. Don't Stop it. He said to his servants, quick. <laughs> this word bugs me right here. Um if, you guys have had this happen. When somebody like messes up, right, and they go off and they do their own thing and they're the the misbehavior. And they come back around. Are we ever quick about scooping them back up? We're we're not. We're usually like, wait a minute. You've got to earn this back. I don't know if I believe you yet. I need to give you a lot of this right now. And we're not going to tell your mom because she's going to throw you a little grace party. We're going to have an awkward moment at the dinner table and she's like, so how's everything going? And you're just going to eat food and stare at each other. (laughs) You can go sleep out in the barn and you can go work. You say you want to work, you go work. You prove it. That's not what he said. He said, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Essentially, what he's just saying is you're not going to be my servant. You're my son. I'm going to put my robe on you. I'm going to put a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet. And then he said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And most of us in the story right there, and we're like, that's beautiful, really nice and cool, and they ate a cow. <laughs> but the whole room was going, what? We're all in agreement. Like, how is this? I don't understand, because I thought for a second that God was represented by the Father, but now, but are you trying to say, I don't understand, we all, What? And this was a really big deal the, the fatted calf because back then they were mostly vegetarians and you only had red meat uh, for special occasions because if you killed it you got to eat the whole thing. And so you'd invite the community in and you'd have these big parties and celebrations that you'd special moments that you'd save it up for. And so what happens now is he's killed the fatted calf. He said, that "We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate." And the story usually ends for us, but the story doesn't end there because there is the older brother. And where has he been this whole time? Where do you think? Working out in the field like an older brother does, like a behavior does. He's been there working hard for his father, taking care of things. And so he, uh, I'm not there yet, but that's what he's going to do. <laughs> he's working and he's sitting there and he's done with his shift for the day and he looks over and he sees dust flying up, he hears music, he sees people from the community come in. And he's like, Whoa, it's like a party. And all of a sudden he looks over and he's like, oh my gosh, there's a cart pulling the fatted calf and somebody killed the fatted calf. Then he goes, wait a minute, that's Frank. He's pulling the cart. Hey, Frank, what are you doing? Another servant comes running out, tells the brother, oh man, you got to come. Your dad wants you to come to this party. He's having a big celebration. Your brother's back. Really? Interesting. My brother's back. And I expected to see him on that cart. So what's going on? (laughs) They're throwing a big party and your dad really wants you, you need to get cleaned up. You need to come have this party because I know that we were like, I know it was like for your graduation or a big event, the calf, but he killed it and it's going to be this celebration for your dad. And and what was the brother filled with? Anger. You already saw like cheaters. (laughs) The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. I'm not going to the party. He don't deserve it. He doesn't deserve that. And I'm angry. And I'm going to refuse to go in. So the older brother became angry. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Son, you need to come to the party. You need to come into this party. Will you please just come to the party? And his old brother had a, uh, a speech rehearsed too. And so he says to his father, "When he, his father says, dude, get in the party. Like, come on, we're eating cow. Look. All these years I've been slaving away for you. I've been working around here and you never and I never disobeyed your orders. I was always good. I always did everything that you asked me to do. I always obeyed your orders, and he was angry. You ever met an angry Christian? You ever met an angry nun? <laughs> They're fun. They're angry, right? All of a sudden he was angry. He's like, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not going into your party. All these years I've been slaving away for you, taking care of things. I've been so faithful. I stayed in that marriage. I tied. I disciplined my kids. And the holier he got, the more filled with righteous anger. Anger. Continues on. He said, You, you never even gave me a goat. <laughs> so I could celebrate with my friends. big meanie. But. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, yeah, Dad, prostitutes, I wasn't going to tell you, and you better not tell mom, but prostitutes for reals. Everything you worked hard for all your life. He comes home, and you killed a fatted calf for him. You killed it. He's saying, wait, come out. My son. The father said, you were always with me. He probably said, "Wait a minute! Did you just change the subject?" <laughs> no. You were always with me. You, you never left. You were always with me. And everything I have is yours. The this, this celebration is about performance. Your brother's left a wake behind him. He has destroyed people. Hurt himself. This isn't about performance. He's not going to get another 25%. You're always here. You're always with me. And everything that I have is yours. I need you to come to the party. Because your brother was gone. But he's here. He's with us. And we need to we need to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours—he was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And he's found. So, we just come to the party. We just come in and celebrate. Because your brother's here, and he wasn't here. He was lost, and he's back. This is a whiff issue. You and your brother have the same problem. Your brother don't want to come into the party either. He doesn't want to come into the party because he feels like he's not good enough. Because he doesn't deserve it. You don't want to come into the party because you agree. (laughs) You both need to stop. You just come into the party. Just come in. And at the root of this situation, for this crowd and for us, it becomes extremely uncomfortable because we realize God could not love you more. And there is nothing you will do to cause him to love you less. This makes this so uncomfortable. That sloppy grace, that's... He didn't give him anything he didn't deserve. He didn't give him another 25%. He didn't raise him up and act like it didn't happen. But he said, no, 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 no. You're with. You're with me. You're messy. And this is messy when we embody it. We live in that tension. God never gets mad at lost stuff. You've never been mad at your phone for losing it. You've been mad at yourself. You never went, that doggone phone... So mad at my phone, getting lost. It's always just running away and calling people. <laughs> Sorry, I took a really serious moment and had a conversation about phone. Why do we get so mad at lost things? Why do we get so mad at lost things? If you're an older brother in this room. Why do we get mad at lost things? Why are you mad at lost things? Where does that anger come from? Ask yourself. Does it come from self-righteousness? Because you're here. You're always here. And everything he has is yours. Don't forget that. Live and embody grace and truth. When we grasp that, that with, when we understand that, when that group understands that, it'll change us. And sin will break our hearts, and repentance will stir our hearts. We'll stop being angry at sin. It'll break our hearts. It's a heart condition that switches. I my heart's broken for what's happening. It hurts. But repentance will stir our hearts. We'll celebrate. It'll change things. Because we have to celebrate. Because our brother or sister of ours was dead and is alive again. You were lost and you are now found. And so in this place, as you become a person of influence, I hope, I hope with everything in me, that God stomps out all of your righteousness I hope that it stomps out all of your self-righteousness and all of your unrighteousness. And in the process, we could become individuals, a person, a church, churches that would be characterized by grace and truth. And that's the power of influence. So, I've talked to the older brothers in the room already. If you're here today and you're a younger brother, come home. Come home. You're allowed to come home. Maybe you've been off and away. Maybe you even went off and away because you were like an older brother. You were mad. You didn't want to go in the party anymore. That place, this is sloppy. I don't get it. Bunch of hypocrites. Nonsense. Quit acting like you're perfect come home, come on back, and uh, on January 1st celebrates New Year's, it's this new thing every year on the first of the year, we're like, happy New Year's, are you ready, January 1st celebrates, oh my gosh, <laughs> New Year's, thanks, yeah, I'm going to move past that, like you actually responded, on New Year's, you celebrate new things, um, and everybody wants to do something new, Maybe there's some of you need to come home and we're gonna do baptisms on New Year's because it's also a Sunday. And we're gonna change the way we celebrate baptisms here. We're gonna do prodigal baptisms because when we hear a story about someone who was lost and is found or was dead and is alive now, we should be going nuts. Nuts. So we're gonna do a nutty celebration. We might even kill a cow. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Don't underpromise, overdeliver something else. No, we're going to do like confetti cannons. You guys are going to have noisemakers. I'm going to have air horns. And when someone comes up here and talks about how I was lost and now I'm found and dead in life, we're going to go nuts because that's what God says you do. That's how you embody grace. That's how you embody truth. You need to come home. So if you're here today, you need to come home, come home. If you're here today and you've always been here, go to the party. Everything he has is yours. Would you bow your head? God, thank you for your lessons in our lives about grace and about truth and how difficult that is to not just be black and white, but to live in the gray. May you be the transformers of our lives and the lives of our friends around us. Would you just free us of that burden of making people do things, of changing them, but yet, could we be an influencer? And you make the change. Some of us in here just need to be freed of that responsibility. You can't change somebody, but you can influence them. And you can do that through love and grace and truth. If you're here today and you need to come home, or you need to go to the party, and you've been away, You've left a mess. God couldn't love you any less. No less. So today, I invite you maybe you need to respond today because God has been chasing your heart. He's running out to you, filled with compassion and love and grace. So drop the speech. Just say yes. If you're here today and you want to physically respond to just giving your life to Jesus and saying, hey, I'm, I'm yours. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I've been lost and found. Thank you for coming and making dead things alive again. And that's you. Well everyone's heads are bowed, would you just look at me and raise your hand and just physically respond to that as, as God just invites you back home? I just want to acknowledge you. I want to pray for you and celebrate you with you. I see you back there, yeah. Yeah. Yep, I got you, bro. So God, you're good. May my older brother friends be filled with grace as we leave this place because they've been just as hurt. And may my younger brother friends fully understand the truth that God loves them no less and welcomes them home. In your name we pray.